Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Wednesday, November the 11th. Coming up, we'll talk about the ongoing confusion regarding COVID restrictions and the impact it will have on businesses such as restaurants and gyms. Plus, we've got gossip, a big juicy breakup. No, not a Hollywood one, but a tech one. Apple and Intel breaking up what this means for Apple users. And we'll also talk to Nick Kiprios about changes coming to the NHL during this COVID pandemic when and if the NHL might resume play. That's all coming up next here in the pod. Lots of talk, lots of confusion, and yes, a little bit of frustration when it comes to Toronto being lifted out of modified stage two on Saturday. Now, uh, Toronto's top doc yesterday, Dr. Eileen Davila, she said that restrictions will remain in place at a local level, similar, of course, to what occurred in Peel earlier this week. David Ingram is the founder of Sweat and Tonic, and he joins us now for more here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. David, good afternoon. Nice to have you back in the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, gyms will not be closed, but can you explain for us, as you understand, uh, the new rules or expectations uh, going forward? Sure. I'll, I'll do my best, but it's still, uh, it's still not clear for everyone. So this is how they've described it. We had expected to move into uh, Code Orange for Saturday. And uh, because the infection rate stayed between 2.5 and 10% for positivity testing, that that would be the color code we'd be assigned on Saturday. That was preempted with the announcement yesterday by uh, Mayor Tory that we would not be in orange. And in fact, we would not be in red. We would just continue to be in lockdown if we were a fitness studio. And therefore, the only uh, provision would be for gyms to allow up to 10 people individually to be in a gym or a fitness studio, but no instruction. So uh, on that basis, in theory, uh, we could have 10 people in, say, the spin room or the yoga room, provided one of them was not an instruction continuing uh, to instruct the class. Is that because fitness classes, per se, they are still not allowed? Gyms can remain open with up to, as you just detailed for us there, 10 people, but no classes? Correct. No classes, uh, up to 10 people, uh, which is actually probably uh, a more riskier situation because it doesn't have the discipline or the surveillance of an instructor keeping uh, people distanced and uh, ensuring the protocols are followed throughout the class. So this one was uh, very confusing because, A, we had expected it to be under the Ontario framework that was just announced last week, and that that would be the guidance. And uh, that was completely thrown out and ignored and uh, put straight to continued shutdown. But this, this added piece of having 10 people in a gym where they could roam around and use equipment, uh, that one is still, for us, a little difficult to understand. Can you describe for us, David, how you're feeling uh, right now? Is it confused? Is it frustrated? Angry? Is it a combination maybe of all those? So I think it's, I think it's fair to use all of those words that you used. Um, we were actually feeling quite positive from last week because we had had different meetings with different ministry departments in Ontario to ask for them to provide clear, understandable data as to how the decisioning would be made. And it would be, make it a bit more predictive for us to plan and organize the gyms for when they reopen or were planning to be reopened in the future. When they came out with their framework with the color coding, 
and then the positivity test rates that were needed to determine which category you'd fall into. It became quite simple as a framework to know where we would stand. What's confusing and really frustrating is that the Toronto mayor has decided to completely discard that and arbitrarily determine that we should stay completely closed, despite the fact, as we have shown before and continue to show, all of the evidence indicates that gym are a tiny cause of the infection rate. In fact, they're less than 3% of all infections. And that the majority of the issue is obviously being driven by schools, hospitals, care homes, and uh, social gatherings inside people's homes. So we had felt confident that the targeted approach uh, would overtake the the one-size-fits-all approach that had been used for the last kind of eight months. Okay, a couple things there I want to unpack, and let's start with this a framework that was unveiled by the provincial uh, government uh, recently. Seems as if, uh, to me, what you're saying is we did have a clear definition and a clear framework to move forward, and you were ready to move forward on that uh, basis with an understanding of the expectations and the rules, but do you feel as if kind of the rug was pulled out from underneath you with the uh, local officials, Mayor Tory and Toronto's top doctor, Dr. Eileen Davila, intervening here? That's, that's correct. We had it all laid out uh, for the first time in months. We had a clear definition of how decisions would be made using science and data to inform us. And then that was completely ignored yesterday and trumped by their need to just keep everything shut. Do you uh, understand their reasoning at all when you see the case counts, particularly in the city of Toronto? We set a uh, new record, a daily record uh, yesterday, and you look at the uh, rising counts, not only right here in the city, but in the province overall, and really right across uh, the country. And we are hearing from uh, doctors, I mean, in Saskatchewan and Alberta, they have written letters to the government urging them in both those provinces to do more. Yeah, no, I, I totally sympathize, and I think we all feel concerned about the rising total counts. Uh, but we have to understand the source so we understand the medicine that needs to be applied. And the source has been in other areas that need drastic further action, not in the areas that continue to have a very, very minute uh, cases of uh, infection. So I thought we had transitioned from global shutdown to very targeted approaches. And therefore, I understand there's a need for people to be overly concerned and be extra cautious as the case rates continue to rise. But that attention needs to be applied to where they're rising and not at the places in which there is very little evidence of spread and virus infection. Tell me about the restrictions of 10 people at a time. Can a gym such as yours or any other gym survive with only uh, 10 members allowed in at any given time? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly not sustainable for anyone, unless you were a very small independent gym that only had space to accommodate 10 and you were built for purpose to do that, then perhaps your economics could work. For, but for most gyms, you never opened it with the model that said you would expect just 10 people to, to come in and be paid visitors. Uh, so I, I think the, the other concerning piece to all of this is that, that the government, the federal government, had committed to funding and subsidies, particularly on rent, and they announced that big program change, which was very welcomed because it has been created in a very fair and equitable way. But that was nearly seven weeks ago, and the funding still hasn't begun because it still hasn't been passed in the House or the Senate. So the issue now for most gyms is not only do you have a continuation of not being able to operate, but you are now going into eight months in most cases where you still have not had any rent relief 
provided to you by the government. And now we're looking at least another month. From what I understand, these local restrictions will take place for the next uh, 28 days. Are you fearful that uh, your gym and others might not survive this, or can you hold on for you know another month, another 28 days, or is there also a fear there that uh, after that time uh, we'll see where the numbers are at, and if there's not been an improvement, well, then the restrictions might stay in place even longer? Yeah, so I personally we're, we'll be fine because we have invested and built this for the long term, but when I speak to fellow gym owners and I hear their stories and their concerns, Uh, I do feel that there is going to be a huge amount of gyms that won't make it through to the next review date in December because they still don't have the government support. They don't have the revenue because they're now closed and they were struggling to uh, get through the rent periods anyway. So I think this is, this is, we won't be the only industry, but I think that this industry will be harder hit than most uh, businesses through the next four weeks. David, I really appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this afternoon, and we'll check in uh, down the road. Appreciate it. Thanks. That is David Ingram. He is the founder of Sweat and Tonic. Okay, I've got some gossip, some juicy gossip. Big breakup. No, it's not a Hollywood breakup. It's a uh, big breakup in the tech world. And joining us now with the details is, uh, well, Kind of the TMZ of tech, if you will. Mark Saltzman joins us here now on Global News Radio. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Okay. Yeah, big, big, big news in the semiconductor industry. A little geekier than, you know, than a Hollywood breakup, but all right. Yeah, I mean, this isn't as big as, uh, you know, some Hollywood breakups, or maybe it is. I don't know. Apple has said goodbye to Intel. Give us the background on this, and why does it matter, Mark? Yeah, so for 15 years, Apple has exclusively created the processors, the engine that drives the performance of Mac computers, whether it's MacBooks uh, or the uh, the iMac or the Mac Mini, rather. So th- this is big news because Apple decided to take it into their own hands and create their own set of chips called the M1 family or system on a chip, if you will. So they're saying goodbye to Intel after several years. And there's a few reasons for it. The Apple, I think at the end of the day, this is, you know, even though it's going to cost them a lot to get it going, which they announced yesterday, uh, and it'll take a few years for it to fully um, be uh, you know, profitable for them, but obviously by cutting out a, a company out of the equation and bringing it in-house is going to be more profitable. But Apple says that their new processors, the M1 family, could give you a lot better performance and better battery life. So how much? Well, if you take the MacBook Air, for example, they're saying that it's going to be about three and a half times faster to process applications and to, you know, for that CPU, the uh, central processing unit, about five or six times faster in graphics performance or the GPU, and with up to twice the battery life at about 18 hours. So part of your question mm. was, what does it mean for us? So if you don't want to have to carry around a plug with your MacBook when, uh, I guess, when we start going back to coffee shops a little bit more regularly, uh, you could leave it at home because it's not going to matter much. So this is more of like a, a mobile processor approach. So Apple's made their own chips for the iPhone and the iPad, and now for the first time, they're computers, but it borrows a lot from it, like instant wake times, super long battery life, you know, sipping rather than uh, gulping electricity, okay. quiet, quieter performance and all that, yeah. Well, let me ask you this, does it, uh, when we talk about the quickness of the processor, does it change what would be a regular MacBook almost into like a, a gaming computer? 
Yeah, so that's where the GPU or the graphics performance comes in. And they were showing this yesterday in their online or virtual conference um, called One More Thing. Um, so a- Apple showed that when it's rendering games like 3D animation in real time, it can do so at a much faster rate. And they compared it to, you know, for your listeners who are into computer games, they know that uh, you always want to find a computer with what's called discrete graphics. That's when you the chip or the card is separate from the processing power, and it takes all that weight off of the, um, the, you know, uh, all that performance is rendered separately instead of relying on the CPU to do all, all the work. So, but now Apple is saying with their M1 chip that they can do it all from this one tiny little design that they've got, this M1 family. And, you know, I should also mention for the, my fellow geeks out there, if you didn't catch uh, the news yesterday, that this is the first five uh, nanometer transistor on a chip. So this is not 10 that Intel uses. And the benefit to having um, a much smaller transistors, and, and it's the more efficient the chip is. So less um, t- tasks to outsource to other parts of the motherboard. This is all going to be handled on uh, within Apple's family. And that includes gaming. So yeah, you're going to see if Apple, again, I haven't had any hands-on time with it yet, but they're going to ship soon. It could uh, be a b- big deal breaker because you don't typically think of Macs for gaming. You know, this is why I love this job. I had no idea when I got up this morning I would be discussing, sorry, nanometers. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right. <laughs> nanometers. Yeah. And, and, and with the new Xbox and PlayStation, teraflops. That's nice. another word, word of the day. Yeah, yeah. Writing this, this down. The... <laughs> this is all good. <laughs> so, right. So this sounds, Mark, like it is great news for Apple users. A win-win. A faster computer, sucking less juice, longer battery life. But is that going to come with maybe an increased cost? Actually, no. Uh, according to Apple, the price is either going to be the same or a tad less. So for the MacBook Air, it's going to remain at $1299 to start or $1169 for students. And that's the new 13-inch MacBook Air powered by Apple. M1. For the MacBook Pro, which has a lot more oomph under the hood, uh, $16.99 to start. And that is the same price as before, but now with up to 20 hours of performance on that machine. And then for the Mac Mini, which is the small little box that you would connect to a monitor, it's now $8.99 to start, which is $100 less than the last uh, edition. So it is does seem to be, on paper, it does seem to be a win for Apple and a win for Apple fans. Um, but they did concede that it's going to take a few years for this to really sort of get into full swing. Uh, and there are a couple of things that people were disappointed at. Like um, analysts were saying, no touchscreens still. Why is still no touchscreens, Apple? Hmm. Are you cannibalizing your iPad business? Uh, no 5G. Why don't you put a cellular chip in there so you don't need Wi-Fi, which is more secure? Because uh, they're all about 5G when it comes to their iPhones, so why aren't we seeing that in the Mac? So it, you know, it was a, it was like a nine and a half out of ten for the announcement yesterday. Uh, if it does, if this really does perform as well as they say it's going to be, but there was a couple things missing, I think. Let me ask you the other side of the coin here. What does this mean for Intel? Because I'm sure there's salespeople listening to us right now, and they've been through this. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you lose your best customer. And I would hate to have been the sales rep for Intel responsible for Apple and having to come back and go, uh... I'm glad you asked me about that. I just yeah, lost so, the Apple yeah. account. <laughs> and, and I've got to be honest, I, I really like Intel. I've been a fan of that brand and their products for a couple of decades. So interestingly, their stock didn't take too much of a hit. It did drop in July when there were some manufacturing problems and they were downgraded by, I think, Goldman Sachs. So it hasn't quite recovered from their peak in July at about $0.61 cents a share. It's now down to about 46 But it didn't, not, not much 
happened uh, during this like last 24 hours since Apple announced it, interestingly. And, you know, the of course, Intel is going to say, you know, we believe in buying our stock. Robert Swan, the CEO of the company, says that he's been gobbling up stock from, by the chip maker uh, because it's going to come back. They know what's in the pipe, uh, in the you know, what's coming down the pike for the for 2021 and beyond. I think they're a big enough company that, um, you know, and they're going to bring a lot of this in-house, like what Apple's going to do. And there's, they're going to make some changes, no doubt. And I think it's going to be positive in the end, but a temporary hit, no doubt. Yeah, it's if Apple's the fourth largest computer maker in the world, this is going to hurt. It's going to sting. But I think that they can, I think Intel has the resources to bounce back. Man, Intel, they were really smart, though. I'm even looking down at the laptop I've got now. And uh, yeah, sure enough, Intel inside. Intel Core. Uh, yeah, great branding. Yeah. IS, uh, eighth generation. But yeah, I can't name any other processor. Any other company? Right. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are others. AMD is another one, and they are powering a lot of the uh, new um, co- video game consoles. But yeah, Intel has done a great job in branding. Um, they are working with all the big Windows makers. Still, the, the lion's share of, of of PCs out there, not Macs, even though they're fourth biggest. So it's not like it's doomsday for them, but it's a temporary setback, no doubt. And uh, they they'll, they'll have to refocus and and uh, and and they've got the gaming space. Computer gaming is as hot as ever, uh, and and that's where Intel. Intel has their, you know, 11th gen processors, uh, i9, and they, they've got that space down. So I think they'll, they'll, they'll make it back in some way. All right. Good for them. Uh, by the way, that other company is A. AMD, sorry, D? AMD. AMD. Yeah, how's, yeah. The, how's their Offices nanometers? In <laughs> it's, uh, they're, they're, they're just, you know, they've got <laughs> okay. the teraflops down. But the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my pocket protector is laughing at me right now. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Mark? <laughs> Mark right. Saltzman, great stuff as always. Good to chat with you. Thanks. Likewise, Jeff. Thanks. Cheers. Well, the NBA, they've got a start date, December 22nd. That was announced the other day. Uh, meantime, hockey fans, we're waiting and waiting and waiting a little more for some sort of signal from the NHL. Well, the league gave us a bit of a hint yesterday about a possible return. And for more on that, here is broadcaster and author of the new book, Undrafted. Nick Kiprios joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Nick, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, Gary Bettman signaling that the league may return to play in early January. First off, uh, what are you hearing? Uh, what's your best guess as to when hockey will be back? Well, there's no question that uh, with the, the announcement from the NBA on a return just prior to Christmas, I believe it's the 22nd, uh, there's a ton of pressure on the NHL to follow very closely. Of course, uh, during a regular winter, uh, the seasons uh, mirror each other with the exception of maybe two weeks, three weeks. So there's a ton of pressure for the NHL to get starting. They've got a target date, a uh, uh, tentative target date of uh, the first week in January, but there's still so many variables, so many unknowns still, including a couple of factors going on behind the scenes that I keep hearing. One is the players don't want to go to work before Christmas. And the second one is the owners are still uh, a little fragile on the idea of coming back to play with no fans. The question is for some of these owners is, do I lose less money not playing at all or playing in an empty building? Now, you know, it's interesting uh, not wanting to play before Christmas because obviously the NBA wanted to get back because the Christmas Day game, and that's a big ratings uh, getter uh, for them uh, year in and year out. But 
Do NHL players, uh, Nick, I mean, you're a former player, you know, do they need like some sort of signal, some lead time uh, to, to kind of get their mindset that, yes, we're going back to work on, on this date? Oh, without a doubt, Jeff. Uh, they're creatures of habit. Uh, we've, I've, been, I've been one my whole life, and even though I've been retired all these years, I often think about uh, uh, my day routine in the morning, much like I would uh, getting ready for practice or a few hours before a game. <laughs> so they, they are now training with no idea of how hard to train or at what stage uh, their, their, their regular training is, off-ice conditioning, uh, how hard you want to push mentally and physically. I, I do believe that they are anticipating a, a return to hockey in January, uh, but it's still hard to train with, when you don't know for sure. Yeah, it's got to be so tough to stay focused and laser-focused like these professional athletes have to and need to be. Uh, also sounds, Nick, like we might get a bit of a compressed season. We were getting indication uh, from the league and from Batman yesterday that the Stanley Cup might be awarded sometime in uh, July. So we're looking at, what, roughly like a six-month uh, season? Yeah, there's no question that we're not going to get the 82-game season. Uh, that's almost a foregone conclusion here. Uh, they so desperately want to get on uh, a regular routine that we've been historically known for uh, a fall regular season schedule and then getting the season over at some point with June. There's a couple of factors uh, that really are coming into play again to finish uh, uh, before July. And one of them is the Olympics. And there's just no way they're going to want to compete in the summer months uh, the ratings were a disaster. Uh, Sportsnet, which has the national package, has made it abundantly clear to the NHL, we don't want games in the summer. Nobody watches in the summer. Everybody's outside, cottages. Uh, the ratings were horrible because of uh, going into July uh, and August, uh, thinking that we're going to you know, take people away from 80-degree weather right. and uh, a, a family time of being outdoors. So they don't want anything to do with the summer. And uh, that means a compressed season of probably in the vicinity of anywhere before between 42, 44 games and maybe 50. Let me ask you as well about the idea that's been floated. And Gary Bettman said yesterday that it's under consideration of a Canadian only uh, division. When you talk about ratings, do you think that would help uh, ratings uh, into the new year? And really, is that kind of the only way for the NHL to resume with the border still closed? And of course, all of us still living with COVID. They better be careful. The Canadians may like it so much. They may just say, hey, you guys do your thing in the U.S. And, and, and we'll just stay all Canada here and we'll go back to the <laughs> original six. We'll call it the original seven now. How about that? <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know all, all kidding aside, uh, they, they don't have much choice if there's going to be border issues. We know the challenges now uh, for the Toronto Raptors uh, and the Blue Jays where they didn't allow cross-border um, teams to come in and out. So, is anything going to change between now and January? They won't have any other choice but to have an all-Canadian uh, division, which still has challenges, Jeff. A lot of the farm teams are in the U.S. When players get hurt, how do you call them up? How do they cross the border mm. if they're in a position of, of playing in, in, in America? So there's 
so many variables or so many dynamics to this thing. And it's just one issue after another in a very short period of time, they're going to have to come up with some answers. Can you imagine though, with an all Canadian division, I mean, the battle of Alberta, I mean, that is uh, bitterly fought as we know during a regular uh, season. I can only imagine if Calgary and Edmonton, instead of meeting, I don't know, four times, if they're meeting like eight. Yeah. 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 And, and, And they'll play every game hard, as hard as they can. And, uh, it doesn't matter. It'll be six, seven, or eight. They won't get bored. They, they'll still go at each other like cats and dogs. I can assure you that because uh, I've had a few series where we played teams, you know, eight or nine times over the course of uh, beginning to end with exhibition games, regular season, and playoffs. And you never, you never lessen the distaste you have for your opponent. I can assure you that. So th- there, there would be, there would be some interest, no question. Uh, near and afar, uh, people watching, uh, not only in Canada, but, uh, you know, around the hockey world. They, they, they'd love to watch that. And, you know, Ottawa has spent some money now. They've got some more credible people in their lineup. Uh, it should push for a more favorable Battle of Ontario as well. Mm-hmm. Nick, I want to circle back to something you mentioned a second ago about the owners and empty buildings. I mean, obviously the league is set if they have to moving forward without fans, at least initially. And do you think that that's something they will continue to revisit? And if a, a vaccine uh, is on the horizon and appears in uh, 2021, could we see a situation where we at least see buildings, I don't know, a quarter full? I, I believe that there's a push, a real hard push. And we've seen the NFL with capacity of, I think, 15, 20%. And I know that there's a, uh, they're outdoor and it's a bigger stadium and you're more spread out. But I, I tell you, there's, there's owners right now that are, that are feeling the pinch. A lot of them are in the hospitality business that uh, line their pockets with millions upon millions of dollars. They've owned restaurants and hotels and all of that's been completely shut down for them. And there are challenges out there. The Dallas stars had issues paying their players bonus money from uh, the, uh, the, uh, the return to play. I mean, there are challenges for everybody out there. So, um, you know, I don't know if that means anything to somebody that's listening right now who you know, continues to battle as well. But, you know, whether or not we're in the entertainment business, the finance business, a hospitality business, we're all feeling it. Without a doubt. Here with Nick Kiprios. Uh, Nick, you tweeted uh, earlier today, I want to read this a tweet, not a day goes by that my Greek immigrant dad doesn't say we live in the greatest country in the world, thanks to all who gave their lives for us, obviously here on this uh, November 11th uh, Remembrance Day. I just wanted to ask you a bit about uh, your dad and this great story that you tell in the book uh, Undrafted about you and your dad and just how important uh, hockey and the Toronto Maple Leafs were to you. Well, just uh, growing up uh, uh, with uh, Greek immigrant parents, Uh, yes, I'm Canadian, yes, I was born in Canada, but, you know, growing up with um, mom and dad who came over from Greece, uh, you know, in, in their late teens, uh, put me in a scenario to sometimes feel like many people to this day feel a little bit on the outside looking in, but it was the game of hockey that kind of bridged it for me. Uh, I talk about my dad taking me in my first Maple Leaf hockey game when I was seven years old and feeling more Canadian than ever when I left the building 
And it was a defining moment for me. I'm sure it was a proud moment for him to finally be able to get tickets because tickets were as hard to come by in the 70s as they were 10 years ago and, and prior to our p- pandemic. It's always been a tough ticket. So the game of hockey was uh, uh, in my dad's you know, love uh, for many things in Canada, uh, but it was hockey that really, really uh, brought the passion out of him and I was able to pick that up, Jeff, at an early age. And it's just one of uh, the many uh, really heartfelt and great stories in the new book, Undrafted. Cannot recommend it more for the hockey fan on your Christmas list. It is a really, really great read. Uh, Nick, thank you so much uh, for the time here this afternoon. Always good to talk with you. Always uh, good to talk to you, Jeff, anytime. Have a great day. All right. Be well, Kipper. Nick Kiprios, the author of Undrafted. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify. Search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.